This is CliffCentral.com. They say that a change is as good as a holiday. It may not always be true, but change is permanent. Welcome to Change Matters, made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. I am Ruda Landman. South Africans longed for emancipation for decades. When it happened, it came with its own set of challenges, but there was also abundant joy. The following guests help us remember the changes in South Africa and in the psyche of its people at various stages. They are radio personality Kino Kamis, journalist and newspaper editor Feriel Hafaji, Jonathan Shapiro, a.k.a. Zapiro, and Carolyn Stain. Kino remembers stepping into his future in an unorthodox way on a day during his gap year. Reading my dad's newspapers, I looked at this thing going, this must be very interesting interviewing all these people. And I made a, 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 a press pass, my own little press pass, and went into some ANC event. I met Jimmy Matthews there. And uh, Jimmy said to me, why didn't you come to Reuters? Because that's where we worked at the time. And I went to Reuters. Long story short, I made coffee for them for about six, seven months. Figured out how cameras work, video work, sound, and I ended up doing sound and I became a runner. So by the time we got to, you know, Mandela being released, I was a sound man and a runner, a tape runner. So I was there when everything was unfolding. I was holding a, a microphone when Mandela became president and I sat, you know, two meters away from him um, with this boom mic looking at this man and just being absolutely amazed when they were standing on... Um, you know, the, the, the steps of Parliament. I was there with a little Nikon FM camera taking photos that I still have. So yes, I mean, um, you know, in, in terms of the change over experience, um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's been phenomenal for me. I think the realization and the appreciation of what actually changed after 1994 really happened once I got my own place and I moved out in my circle of friends. Uh, started expanding a lot more. The walking into radio was also serendipitous for this formerly disadvantaged young man from Elsie's River. I was a SABC cameraman at the Seapoint offices and I used to run up, I think it was to the second or run down to the second floor where Good Hope FM um, broadcasted from and there was a guy called Graham White, the vanilla thriller, I remember that. And I used to sit with Graham and as I did with Reuters, I sat around, made coffee, then he allowed me to push a couple of buttons on the desk and eventually he could take long coffee breaks because I was quite proficient in mixing the music. And then one day Graham said to me, why don't you try and do a voice tape? Because I always pretended to be on radio and, when, and he used to come in and listen to me. He says, you should do a voice tape. And we did. We went downstairs um, to the, the studios, the basement of the SABC. And on quarter inch, we used to edit, we used to, edit, we used to uh, you know, I mean, you can see stuff like you can on all the fancy equipment they've got these days. And we used to, we edited a voice uh, piece for me, we handed it over, and uh, I think it was Randall Abrams at the time, who was stand-in uh, program manager at Good Hope FM, uh, said, listen, how would you like a weekend slot? And then they offered me a weekend slot. I was scared, and I can't use that word, that, that follows scared, but I was very scared. But once again, you know, with mom's support and dad's support and the family and a couple of people, the four people who listened to me, uh, they started building my confidence and I just moved on from there. 
Newspaper editor Ferial Hafferji was a young journalist when the country transitioned. She worked at the Weekly Mail at that stage. It was then called the Liberation Movement's paper of choice. It was also uh, a time of elation, but a time of great fear and trepidation, and that paper was at the heart of that story. Ferial became the first woman of colour to head up a major newspaper, the Mail and Guardian. And boy, was she taken by surprise. I didn't at all see the editor as a female form. I assumed it was going to be Justice Malala, William Mervyn Gumede, um, maybe bring Wuxin Williams across. I always imagined the figure of leadership as male. So to, imagine, to, to be in that position and get the job, it was perfectly wonderful, but very, very daunting. Huh? Some of my colleagues will say I'm a ball buster. <laughs> um, but um, I hope that I bring certain traits of my own to, to my leadership role, which is to listen. I, I mean, I had to very early on accept it as a trailblazing blazing role and take a position of leadership for other young women. Because I do think um, that it's within our ability to reshape leadership and reshape economies as well. One of the first huge debates I had at the uh, Mail and Guardian was whether we send a young Afrikaans journalist to Swaziland to cover the protest there. And all the men in the room said, no ways. You can't send a woman to Swaziland. I mean, but we did. And you have those things happening all the time. If you have curiosity, tenacity, and empathy, those are the three prime qualities, not macho, um, um, a macho um, visage at all. I think it's important that we don't have black media, white media any longer. One of the unfortunate but fortunate things is we have no easy consensus in South Africa on anything from race to economic direction um, to looting. Was it xenophobia? Was it not? Um, there's no easy consensus and I think a good journalism allows all of that to happen as we decide what our path is um, as a nation. Cartoonist Zapiro remembers the joy of having freedom of speech, which had never been experienced in the country until then. But the road forward would become rough for him. It was an incredible period to be a cartoonist. To have a head of state like Mediba who, who actually loved cartoons and who actually enjoyed critical voices. And I mean, you said that to me personally. I mean, that's, that was a hugely defining moment when he actually said that to me. I was, I was just sitting at my desk on an ordinary day and uh, the phone rings and my, my wife says it's the president's office. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe they want a drawing or something. Anyway, I'm holding the phone in one hand, waiting, and I'm busy drawing, and I've got a pen in my mouth. As, as I wait for a while, and his voice says, hold on for President Mandela. Hello, is that uh, Zapero? And I said, yes. And he said, uh, this is our President Mandela. I said, uh, it sounds like you, so it must be you, which I, I know is like pretty embarrassing. Then he said, he said, I'm very upset with you. So I thought, wow, I, I thought that, I, I mean, flashed through my head, maybe he is now upset about some of the cartoons that I've been doing. And he was just having a joke with me. It was about, uh, it was about the, the, he'd seen that I was not going to be appearing in the, in the Argus anymore, Cape Argus, because there was a, the, the deal with the Sunday Times was coming through and I'd be, anyway, and he always loved seeing the cartoons every day when he was in Parliament. It was pre-internet, of course. So, well, the internet was just in its infancy. So he, he wanted to see the, the stuff every day when he was in Parliament, and he wouldn't see the Sowetan cartoons reproduced in the Argus anymore. So that was why he found it. But then I, the, the point is that I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm not only 
honored and thrilled and all that. And I was a bit tongue-tied for her. But I then said, you know, just, you would have seen, since I met you, because I met him in 94, I mean, you would have seen the cartoons getting more and more critical of, of, of the ANC and of government. And he said, oh, but uh, that is your job. I mean, he really understood that thing of criticism and he really encouraged it. I was able to do critical cartoons, but at the same time, the, the, the people at the very top really appreciated that. And also, Madiba himself had this huge regard for the rule of law and for the institutions that he was busy setting up. During the Mbeki presidency, I started to question where we were going economically, but in particular, we started to see the things happening in the arms deal, because Mbeki was really behind that in 99. And then we, even more so, there was the stuff around HIV and AIDS. Zimbabwe, you can add into that with Mugabe and, you know, even not say anything about Sunny Abadja and Nigeria until he's hanged the, the eight activists, uh, nine activists, I mean. And I began doing savage cartoons. So then my real savage, savage, hard-hitting cartoons began in 98, 99, 2000. And by the time Jacob Zuma came along, which was actually the end of 2002, it's as early as that, in 2003, beginning 2003, I was already doing very, very savage cartoons of both Mbeki and of Zuma. And things did change for me. I suddenly became seen as not somebody who's sparring and, 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 and as I see it, saw myself as a visual columnist with, a, with an activist bent, which is different from being an activist cartoonist as I was in the 80s. But now suddenly I was an enemy. I changed. Look, I made an active decision to, to push hard, but I think my politics and what I was trying to do and the upholding transparency and accountability and democracy is not different from what I was doing in the 80s or the early 90s. One that was catalytic was, was the Lady Justice cartoon of Jacob Zuma in 2008. I was angry beyond words at how the ANC had descended to this point where they picked the wrong guy. It was completely clear the only way they felt they could get Tabo and Becky out, and I agreed they needed to get Tabo and Becky out. But if they were going to say, well, the only way to do that is to get somebody who is tainted morally and tainted in terms of corruption, Jacob Zuma, and I made the very conscious decision there that I'm going to go for broke. I do a very left brain way of operating with cartoons. I'd write things down and I hope that the right brain will kick in, the sort of lateral thinking thing. So I wrote down, what, what the hell is Zuma doing? Zuma is raping justice. And then the right brain just exploded because I suddenly realized justice is a woman. It, metaphorically, it's Lady Justice. And that was the, and I suddenly drew that, I started, drew the first little rough of that image. And I promise you, I'm not, I'm not making this, I mean, I went, huh? Uh, anyway, I sent that, the, the rough to my editors, Monli Makanya at the Sunday Times. He said, listen, I'm at a restaurant. I said, Monli, you have to see this. I need to know whether I'm going to do it. And I, I've got to think it through. I had to fax it to the restaurant, the rough. And he tells the story about this, this waiter coming across with his fax. A black, a black waiter suddenly went white. <laughs> he, he phoned me and he said, you're, 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 he's an aged comrade, that is tough, but it's what needs to be said. And when the cartoon was published, apart from all the heavy reaction, but there were women who phoned up and said, look, I'm a rape survivor. Some said, I'm a gang rape survivor. 
And initially, I, I was utterly shocked. And then I looked and I said, that, that is my experience. And so there was that other level of what happens in this country. The patriarchy, and as it happens, Zuma is a huge icon of that kind of patriarchy. And he as also, as happens, had been through a rape uh, case himself. He, of course, was acquitted. And the cartoon is metaphorical, so it's not about his mm. his uh, rape case. It's about a metaphorical figure of justice. For all the disappointments, there are also incredible stories still unfolding in South Africa. Carolyn Stain, spurred on by a dare, became the world's blanket lady. The blankets knitted in memory of Madiba are becoming proverbial hugs all around the world. Um, the blanket project, 67 Blankets, has definitely changed my life. It was my husband Doe's birthday and um, Zelda was there. We, we had a lunch, about 10 of us, and I was boasting about my domestic abilities, of which I had none. And, um, <laughs> and she said, well, why don't you make 67 blankets for Mandela Day? And I said, sure, no problem. And then it promptly, you know, went out of my head. And my sister, Sharon, arrived on Christmas Day with a bag of wool and a crochet hook. And I thought, oh, arthritis is setting in. And I certainly cannot make 67 blankets on my own. I don't have 67 friends. My sisters both said they would make a blanket. My friends... I don't cook, I don't knit, I'm too busy. All those friends are now making blankets because that's the only way that they can get to see me. <laughs> and um, so I created a group on Facebook called 67 Blankets for Nelson Mandela Day. It's now 67 Blankets for Nelson Mandela Day South Africa because we're in so many countries around the world. So that's how it started. And it started out as a little initiative with a very big heart that's become a movement. Carolyn is still astonished at the interest from other countries. The most striking of late is India. Um, you know, we entered the Guinness Book of Records soon after this, this pledge, and we pretty much have managed to, to distribute blankets in the past three years to, I would say, up to 30,000 people in South Africa. Coming back to India, they then beat our record, but by miles. So we were so proud of our record being 3,377 square meters. And then a few months, like four months later, India, 11,148 square meters. But you know, South Africans love a challenge. So we rolled up our sleeves. I actually got prisoners involved as well. You know, we started out at Zondervata Maximum Correctional Center in Cullinan. Um, and you know, there again, that... That's a game-changer and a life-changing thing for me. Um, and I often think, having engaged with a lot of people living behind bars, that there but for the grace of God go I. Ooh. Um, they talk about the fact that they're knitting together their broken lives with this project. They're knitting together broken trusts. With 67 blankets, they are finding their humanity again. And I'm quoting, I'm quoting from, from someone. Because under the 67 blankets umbrella, they have got mathematics, science, poetry, dance, song, you know, along with crocheting, knitting broken lives together. The gift, the gift that Zelda gave me through Madiba has definitely changed my life. And Grasa Michelle said to me, my dear, you do realize that this is your calling. We have seen changes in this beautiful country of ours, and we will see some more. 
but may those changes be for the better for all of us. Thanks for listening to Change Matters, made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Make sure you catch every episode of Change Matters. This is CliffCentral.com.